once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Nearly 30 million people are held as slaves today. Additionally, nearly 2 million children are exploited in the commercial sex trade. Hashtags won't free them. What role might we be called to? Gary Haugen, President and CEO of International Justice Mission, continues the series, What's on Your Heart?, with this message entitled, The Justice of God, which covers Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Thank you for joining us today. This week, we're continuing, as we are next, with the series, What's on Your Heart? And we've been inviting some key people from around the the country to come in here and be a part of the series. And this week we have Gary Haugen. Gary has been with us twice before and to be invited back a third time means that uh, we think he has something good to say to us. And so from this morning, early service, I can tell you that is the case. Founder and president of International Justice Mission. And uh, they've been going now 17 years. This is the organization that God is using globally to bring justice to many, many, many people. And you're going to see that. Note there, too, how a, a human rights uh, attorney for the Department of Justice has served with the director, as director of the U.N. investigation for in the aftermath of Rwanda uh, genocide and so forth. And um, struggled through school, I'm sure, going to these little schools, Harvard and somewhere else, University of Chicago, whatever. Tough to get in SEC schools these days, I know. <laughs> Married to uh, Jan and uh, four children, and we are blessed to have you. Come, let me pray for you again, and uh, God certainly answered the prayers for the first service. We're going to pray again. God will greatly use you as he did in the last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Gary. Thank you for the work you've called him to and the uh, incredible ministry that has uh, served untold thousands upon thousands of people who are the recipients of so much injustice. God, we pray, touch our hearts today. Show us our role in helping a world in need. Bless Gary as he, as he teaches us. Uh, fill his heart with your spirit, your power. And may we hear you from him, and we thank you for him. Blessed now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Randy. Uh, maybe the third invitation, it's just sort of the third time's the charm. He couldn't get it right the first two times, so maybe the third time it'll be uh, somewhat helpful. So thanks for having me back. I wanted to see if you might think through something with me this morning, and that is, when do you think the original 12 disciples following Jesus started to figure out that following him was going to be dangerous? You picture how incremental this must have been, right? Because they're just these common fishermen there along some uh, Galilean village, and this rabbi comes by and invites them to follow him, and he seems wise, and he seems very kind, and he seems quite powerful in his capacities, and so they, they follow him. But before the whole thing is over with, their leader is going to be tortured and murdered. And they are all going to end up giving their lives for following him. So when do you think it started to dawn on them that this was going to be dangerous? I mean, I'm pretty sure they could readily see this was going to require some repentance following him, some reordering of their priorities perhaps, and some change of their lifestyle. But when do you think it started to dawn on them that it was going to take them 
to a place that was scary. And what about you and me? For those of us who've made a decision to follow Jesus, has the sense begin to emerge for us that perhaps following Jesus is going to be a little bit dangerous? When you first signed up to follow Jesus, did you think it would be unsafe? It's okay if you didn't because clearly the, the 12 didn't think so either. But by the time it was over, they had no doubt. So what were we expecting when we signed up to follow Jesus? We probably have our own story about what drew us to follow him, what it was that we were expecting, what it was that we were hoping for, and now we are following him. And now perhaps as we do that, it is beginning to emerge that there's something about this that is starting to feel unsafe. Maybe it's been an invitation into some sort of opportunity of service or some kind of ministry or some sort of path of obedience and it's beginning to feel a little bit scary so now following Jesus we feel a little bit conflicted maybe about obeying him we feel a little bit uneasy and maybe even a little bit disoriented this has been my experience for sure at International Justice Mission where around the world we take on cases of violent abuse and oppression of very poor people and we've seen now that if you're going to love someone who's being viciously abused by some brutal person, that, that's going to start to feel dangerous and unsafe. It's interesting because I find that no matter what kind of ministry one is engaged with in following Jesus, at one time or another there will be this confrontation with fear. It's rarely identified as such because we don't want to say we're afraid because that seems so very unattractive, right? But if you peel away the layers, one can start to find that there are fears, large and small, that are beginning to hinder us. It's interesting, too, that more than any other command to his disciples, Jesus said, don't be afraid. Why is that? I, I think it's because he understood the root of the problem. And that is that the primary obstacle to our loving other people, our primary obstacle to following and obeying him would be fear. Now, there's two ways to respond to fear, right? You can seek safety or you can seek courage for an unsafe situation. You can seek a different situation or you can seek to be a different person. You can seek a safer situation or seek to be braver and stronger. It turns out that Jesus is in the business of making braver people and not so much in the business of making situations safer. In fact, interestingly enough, he uses unsafe situations to make his followers braver. Now, why does he do this? Why does he so relentlessly invite us into dangerous situations in order to make us braver? Why does he want so badly for you and for me to be brave? Two reasons. Number one, for us. It's more fun to live life brave. In other words, there's no joy in fear, right? 
He wants you and me to be brave because we will enjoy life more. For example, you love your kids and so you want them to be brave, right? They will live lives that are full of joy and lives that are larger if they're, if they're brave and they'll lead lives that are small and sad if they are afraid. And so you want your kids to be brave. Likewise, our Heavenly Father wants us to be brave because he knows that will be the pathway of joy for us. But the second reason that Jesus wants to make us brave is because he needs brave people to do his work in the world. And what is Jesus' work in the world? It really boils down to two things. Loving people who are in need and telling the truth. And in a fallen world of lies and selfishness, telling the truth and loving needy people is going to be unsafe. It's going to be inherently dangerous. So sooner or later, the choice is going to come to a follower of Jesus. And the choice is, do you want to be safe or do you want to be brave? Because it turns out you can't be both. One of the greatest joys of my life uh, with my family is getting to coach uh, peewee football. And I mean peewee contact football. And I think a number of them will, will make it in the SEC for sure. But um, <laughs> so you got to picture these little teeny guys like seven or eight years old. And this is contact football. So you get the shoulder pads and the helmet and they get to smack each other, knock each other down. And it's more fun than should seem legal. But this is awesome. And one of the very, very best parts, in fact, my favorite part of all this, is the magical day when the peewee discovers that contact football is about contact. Because <laughs> this is not obviously the case to the little first-timer, right? Because maybe he's been watching football on TV, and it's a big party in a stadium. And so that's what he thinks he's joining, is a party in a big stadium. And then he watches the commentators, right? And it's really about analyzing things very carefully and understanding the plays and the X's and the O's and the arrows. So it's really about, you know, smart analytics. And then he sort of goes to his first uh, practice. And the first week of football, of course, is conditioning practice, right? So no contact. So it's about running hard, <laughs> catching passes, and running sprightly through the yellow cones, right? <laughs> football. Wonderful. And then when conditioning's over, it's time to get the equipment. And then football is all about the gear, right? So our little peewee's got his shoulder pads and his jersey and his shiny helmet, and he runs home to show it off to everybody at home. And football is about the gear. And the next day is the first day of contact practice. This day finally rolls around and our peewee finds himself in a series of shocking collisions that seem surprisingly intentional and for which no one is offering an apology. <laughs> and in this moment, our peewee discovers that contact football is about contact. And in such a moment, our little peewee is forced to make a choice. Does he really want to be a football player? Now, sometimes peewees need help in clarifying this choice. And I can remember when my mom helped me clarify this choice. When I was a peewee football player, I'm riding home in the car 
I'm like seven years old. That's the first couple of days of contact practice. And I tell her, I've, I've had enough. I'm quitting. And of course, she responds as, the, as a wise mother does. And she just says, oh, just lets me just sort of sit in that for a while. And then she says, well, okay, you can just turn in your equipment uh, and your jersey tomorrow to the coach. I, of course, was horrified, right? Because I loved football. I loved the idea of football. And I thought I looked really good in my uniform, too. <laughs> Maybe I could be the kind of football player who wore the uniform without all that contact stuff. But my mom helped me see that the contact stuff was precisely what football was about. And after encouraging me past the first few days of all the bumps and a few of the bruises, it turned out that I really did love football because what I loved was the contact. Now, it might have been sweet of my mom to let me avoid the bumps and bruises of the practices and let me maybe just hold on to the uniform for a season and pretend that I was a football player. She could have acted like it is actually possible to be a football player and to stay away from all the contact. To, pre to pretend that a choice isn't actually necessary. But that wouldn't be true. And thankfully, she loved me more profoundly than, than that. And good parents, I think, help their children clarify the reality of life's choices. And likewise, our Heavenly Father, he wants to be really clear about life's basic choice. And here is the choice that I think our Heavenly Father is asking us to make and really to understand, because I think it is the question that Christians of this era are going to have to answer. And it really is the choice of our age as the body of Christ. Do you want to be safe or do you want to be brave? Because you cannot be both. Gently, lovingly, our Heavenly Father wants us to know that we must make a choice. And I think that all of us actually have this great yearning for courage, don't we? We love the, the image of a courageous heart. In fact, what's uglier or or less attractive than cowardice. And so we admire and exalt the courageous, and we return again to it in literature or in art or in the movies. We just love to catch even a glimpse of a brave heart, right? Indeed, who wouldn't want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember these young men from the Old Testament, right, who are threatened with being thrown into a furnace if they will not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And the whole rest of the empire, I mean the whole empire, they are all bowing down. But who wouldn't want to be the ones who are able to look very, very calmly into Nebuchadnezzar's face and say this, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we actually have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Wow. I want to be brave like that. But on the other hand, I don't ever want to have to be brave like that, right? I don't want to have my choice being that I'm going to get chucked inside a fiery furnace. I'd rather be brave, but I'd also like to be safe. And my heavenly father is saying to me, oh, you must make a choice. In fact, choosing to be brave means choosing not to be safe. What does all this mean? Well, I think it brings us to this central question of as we are following Jesus, as you are following him, and as the disciples were following him, what are we supposed to do when it seems like following him is getting scary? In fact, if we're following God, is it ever supposed to be scary? I mean, isn't God supposed to take care of me? Isn't he supposed to keep me from danger? Isn't he supposed to keep me and my family safe? In fact, aren't I probably out of his will if I'm feeling scared? Well, according to Jesus, actually, no. In fact, it turns out that doing God's will in a fallen world is inherently dangerous. Over and over again in Scripture, actually, Jesus teaches us that his disciples will suffer for following him. There's a lot of suffering, of course, that we will avoid because we're following him. We will avoid the suffering of guilt, never have to experience it. We don't have to suffer self-destruction. We can avoid the suffering of addiction. We can avoid the suffering of hell by following Jesus. But there are other kinds of suffering we will encounter precisely because we are following him. And he wants us to be really, really clear about this. In fact, 1 Peter says this, Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. So clearly, some suffering can actually be God's will. It's not, not the truth that the suffering itself is necessarily God's will, but what is true is that doing the work of God in the world that is fallen will bring suffering with it. In fact, if my life of following Jesus doesn't feel dangerous... I might just check to make sure it's Jesus I'm following. Because if I, I'm playing football and no one's hitting me, I might check to see if I'm actually out on the field. Doing what Jesus does, which is to tell the truth and to love people in need, is inherently unsafe in a world of selfishness and lies. And I think many of us have already discovered, discovered this fact of life that loving, hurting, and needy people is unsafe and uncomfortable. 
In fact, I generally try to keep needy people away from me, right? Think about those in your family, your near family or extended family, who are most needy and hurting. Picture them. Think of those in in this church who are hurting the most. Think of those in Atlanta who are in the greatest, most desperate need. Think of those on the other side of the city who are most vulnerable. Bring them to mind. And then imagine truly loving and caring and ministering to them. It will become uncomfortable. It's messy. It's untidy. It will be unsafe and it can actually be dangerous. And yet paradoxically, Jesus tells us that this is actually where the deepest and greatest joy is to be found. And based on my experience with International Justice Mission, I can just tell you that this is true. That loving those in desperate need is unsafe, but it is also the source of the greatest joy. At IJM, we try and follow this command from Isaiah 117 that says, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. And this is quite dangerous because this requires actually confronting those who are violently abusing the poor. And one must actually engage that problem. It's a calling to stand with those who are in great peril, and it's dangerous. For instance, take Take Rahman, for example. He's a good and earnest man who is in great danger. He's been held as a slave in a rice mill in India for about 32 years. Seven days a week for up to 18 hours a day, he toils in harsh, harsh labor, including hoisting these 110-pound sacks of rice upon his thin back and then carrying them across the yard hour upon endless hour, day after day, year after year. What makes it even worse is that his wife and children are also held as slaves in this facility and are horrifically abused, and he can't do a thing about it. There are about 100 other slaves held in this rice mill. You may know that there are about 30 million people held in slavery in our world today. There are more people held in slavery today than at any other time in human history. But Rahman is just one of those, and his family is being crushed. They are held in terror in the rice compound by this man on the right, who employs a gang of thugs to beat and brutalize the slaves. And if anyone tries to escape the compound, they are chased down, dragged back, and just viciously beaten in front of the others. Rahman and his wife and kids are in great danger all day, every day. But it is the calling of my IJM teammates in India to go stand with Rahman in his danger. Because if we were a slave in a rice mill, that is what we would want someone to do for us. Day after day, my teammates, they infiltrate these dark places. And then they make a plan to bring rescue to those who are hidden in slavery in their community. And then they mobilize the authorities to actually carry out rescue operations to get them out. But on multiple occasions, the slave owners are able to raise up a mob to attack them. And so this is actually very, very dangerous work. 
But by the grace of God, in Roman's case, Jesus was able to work through their skill and through their refusal to go away. And eventually Roman and the other hundred slaves inside that facility were rescued from the rice mill and were set free. Amen. And after a journey of six years of effort, those slave owners were actually properly convicted and imprisoned for their crimes. But not only that, but after the rescue, IJAM's aftercare programs actually make it possible for former slaves like Rahman to actually thrive on their own two feet. So Rahman not only takes care of his own family through steady work and managing livestock, but this former slave is now actually the leader in his community. He has managed to bring electricity, running water, and now paved roads into his own village that has transformed the life of everyone in his community. And if you talk to him, he will give you a very, a very eager testimony about the goodness of God that he saw manifest in the courage of these followers of Jesus who were willing to come to him in his place of greatest danger. Standing with Ramon and his family was dangerous. But can you imagine a greater joy than getting to stand with him when he is in freedom, the freedom for which God created him? This is the miracle of God's faithfulness, of his love and of his power. And I believe God is calling his whole church into this amazing adventure of dangerous love and justice in the world. But I can also tell you that there are just churches around the country who sense the invitation and they really just say to Jesus, no, thank you. In fact, I can recognize this own pattern within my own heart. I can see a needy and hurting world close at home, near me, or maybe far away, but I see the neediness, I see the hurt, I see the suffering, and I sense God's passion to care for them. And my heart starts to beat with his to do something. And I really want to follow him in his passionate heart of compassion. But then I get close and I sense the dangers and I sense the unknown. And I have this little conversation with Jesus in which I tell him, I'm really perfectly happy to follow you, Jesus, in this if you'll just tell me three things. Number one, will you tell me exactly what the path of this is going to be? Secondly, will you tell me exactly what this is going to cost? And thirdly, will you tell me just very, very clearly whether or not this is going to work? Give me all three of those things, Jesus, up front, and I will totally follow you. And then Jesus says, oh, Gary, see, that's just not the way it works. Because, see, then I wouldn't have to make you brave. You'd be stuck with what you think you can safely do with your power. When what I really want to show you is what you can dangerously do with my power. So, Gary, Jesus asked me, what do you really want? You want to safely experience your own power? Or do you want to let me make you brave 
so you can experience my power. God is in the business of making his children braver so they can do his dangerous work of love and truth in the world. And so that his children can experience his power and his glory and his goodness. Jesus says to us, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine among men that they will see your good works and then give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And in order for me to be such a light, he wants me to be braver. And he wants to make you braver. And he wants Perimeter Church to continue to lead the body of Christ in being braver, not safer. At IJM, we exist really specifically to partner with churches in this journey. And many of you have been walking in this journey with us for a long time. And I think many of you began that journey by praying with us. This is, I think, the first step. And so this is how I would just like to offer you, all of us, to get started this Sunday. In your bulletin, there's a little card that just says, pray with us. I hope you'll pull this out because this is my simple invitation with you. I dare you to pray with us. This is a little card that will allow you to get a, a weekly sort of urgent email about these rescue operations that we are carrying out that are really quite dangerous. And I would just ask you to pray for us. To draw yourself into this dangerous work of justice and go to the God of justice on our behalf and then we will actually send you updates about what happened. There's a place on here to check off if you don't want to hear anything else from us. But if you want to pray, for, pray with us, take the 15 seconds today, fill this out, and return it in the table out in the lobby. It's super simple, but I guarantee you it is not safe. Because God will draw you into what it is he's doing in the world. And you will find yourself talking to him about it. You will see him do miraculous things of power and see if it does not begin to change you. Indeed, in whatever area of ministry, it could be this work of justice or other ministries that you are engaged in, the main message is this. Let's not miss out on the invitation from our Father to make us braver. In every era, God is calling his people to be brave. Because there are hurting people who need our courage. And in every era, there are those people who choose to be brave and there are those who choose to be safe. And both groups are remembered by their grandchildren. They're just remembered differently. Which group do we want to be in? Do we want to follow Jesus and his invitation to not be safer? but indeed to be deeply, deeply braver. Let's pray together. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gentleness and patience with which you allow us to know you more deeply. Thank you, God, for calling us out into your world to follow you into a work of compassion and love of glory and power, of goodness and great joy. 
We ask you, oh God, to just take whatever measure of faith is within us today and help us to say yes to being braver and to simply follow you into the dangerous work of loving and telling the truth. Give us courage, oh God, to take that one next good step of following you. And may it go to you, Jesus, and your great glory in the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.